Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Well, hello there and welcome along to Let Me Explain with myself, Josh Crosby, standing in for Sean Defoe. It's a time of year when cards are tap, tap, tapped, retail spending goes into overdrive as cupboards are filled for visitors and presents are bought for family and friends. But the commercialization of Christmas is only one tradition we repeat year after year, no matter how many times we tell each other we're not going all out. Tis the season of an all-out war for your holiday dollars, and retailers know it's the sales that lure you in. Go, 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 shop, 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 shop. So when did the idea of spending some of your own hard-earned cash on a loved one come about? Well, we need to go back quite a while, even before gold, frankincense and myrrh. We need to go back as far as the ancient Romans, to be precise. Well, as precise as we can be. So it's here when the Saturnalia Festival, in honour of the god Saturn, saw friends and families come together to celebrate with traditions we still see today. Plenty of eating and gift-giving, but it would take a few centuries before this would take off and become what we know of Christmas today. Really, uh, Santa Claus is a creature of the early 20th century uh, in America, particularly uh, in northeastern America, New York City and Philadelphia. He comes out of the oral tradition, the the folk memory of the Dutch colonists in in the New York area. And so Sinterklaas becomes mutated into Santa Claus and will shift from a bishop into a non-denominational fur-clad figure. So in order to domesticate Christmas, to bring it indoors and focus it on children, a number of New York writers make this fur-clad, reindeer-powered gift-bringer appearing in the homes of children. Historian Dr. Jerry Bowler talking to News Talk about his research into Christmas after writing the Santa Claus biography. It wasn't until the 16th century when it became widespread throughout Europe to give gifts to children, all in the name of Saint Nick, the saint of children. But let's face it, presents can be bought at any time of the year. I'll admit, I don't mind a bit of Treat Yourself Tuesdays from time to time myself, but what's special about presents at Christmas is the gift wrapping. Rolls and rolls of wrapping paper, ribbons, bows and stickers to just make the gift that extra bit glittery. Five for 50 to wrapping paper. Get your cheeky Charlies. When you're off buying some gift wrap, there's a strong chance you'll be picking up some cards as well. Now today we're spoiled with celebrity voice recorded greetings, but how far back does the humble Christmas card go? Well, similarly to showing your affection for a loved one with a present, cards are a simpler form of thanks. It's believed the first Christmas card was created in 1843 by the first director of the Victorian and Albert Museum in the UK, Henry Cole. So it's a similar technology machine that we have already in use for parcels, but this is a more bespoke machine for our smaller packet streams and small parcel streams that we have, and it's going to help really increase our capacity for both outbound international packets that we're generating in Ireland, but also a huge amount of inbound international packets. The dedication of the UNPOS staff to ensure that we're ready for Christmas has been second to none. We're the largest delivery team in Ireland who are passionate about creating a new future for UNPOST and the customers we're serving. So when the cards are sent off and presents are bought, they need to be put under the tree. Some houses are now decorated with two trees, while other homeowners raise money for charity with their Christmas lights. It's believed the idea of decorating a tree comes from 16th century Germany before spreading out around the globe. Here in Ireland, tradition has it that decorations should all be down by Nunnignamon, Women's Christmas or Little Christmas, which falls on January 6th. But did you know the tradition of hanging a holly wreath has origins in 
Ireland. The big thing then, first of all, would be to get the home ready, to be able to welcome visitors and family. The men were responsible for cleaning the outside of the house, preparing that, and the women for the inside. The walls would be whitewashed, the yard would be cleaned, uh, everything would look amazing. And uh, inside the house, the linen, the furniture, the pots and the pans would be cleaned and scrubbed until everything was spotless and ready to welcome everybody. Of course, then to decorate the inside of the house. Of course, the poor didn't have, couldn't afford decorations like the landlord, so holly was something they could get. It was lovely, the green and the red and the colour were great would you know, fill the house with colour. Fortunately in Ireland there was loads of holly, lots of holly around and the more berries on the holly the better. It would be a harbinger of good luck if you had a, a lot of um, berries on your holly. And the children were responsible for going out and collecting that and they'd come back and they'd have great fun decorating the inside of the house. And, and the placing of the holly on the door, the round of holly, a circle of holly on the door, actually originates from Ireland. So holly wreaths, holly on the mantelpiece, the image that is yeah. around the world on Christmas cards, that actually originated in Ireland? From what we know, yeah, it would have been certainly, maybe in other countries, but certainly in Ireland, the wreath on the door was would have originated here. And it makes sense, there was lots of holly in Ireland and all over the place. So it was the way that people could fill their house with colour at Christmas time. Johnny Daly runs a folklore and storytelling show in Dublin. He says the Irish have left their mark on Christmas traditions around the world. Another Irish tradition which may raise a few eyebrows when first seen is the Wren the Wren. The Wren, the Wren, the king of all birds in Stephen's day was caught in the furs. Although he was little, his honour was great. Jump up, me lads, and give us a treat. He said he was going to kill and all. I met the Wren upon the wall. Opened me wattle and knocked him down and brought him into character. More popular in some areas than others, your door could be getting knocked on by the Wren boys in search of some coins. Clodagh Doyle is keeper of the Irish Folklife Collection at the National Museum of Ireland. She says the tradition is quite localised to certain parts of the country. We have two traditions in Ireland. One is the Wren boys and the other is the Mummers. The Wren boys are associated with St Stephen's Day and they're really mainly the west of Ireland. They wouldn't be around and the East Coast at all. It's mainly men and boys, but this is most of the traditional feast days involve men and boys going from house to house, basically getting money and drink. <laughs> like So that's kind of what the Wren boys are. They're kind of like, they'll do a little bit of a, like a, a sing song or um, a few rhymes or they might do a few songs, but basically then they'd rattle a tin and they'd expect some money or a drink. So that's kind of um, the Wren boys. And they're called the Wren boys because they have a rhyme and they'd say the wren, the wren, the king of all birds on St. Stephen's Day was caught in the furs um, up with the kettle and down with the pan and give us some money to bury the ran. Holly wreaths and paper chains are not the only decorations dotted around the house. Christmas stockings hanging from the mantelpiece also get an annual outing. Their place in history dates back to the time of St. Nicholas in the 4th century. As it said, he dropped gold coins down the chimney which landed in socks that were drying by the fire. Once you've opened your presents, it comes to the feast of all feasts, the annual dining marathon, a time when most will have sprouts for the only time of the year while also pulling apart a wishbone. Johnny Daly says the traditional dinner was not always a bird. Of course, you know, the, the landlords and the richer tenant farmers, they would have had beef at Christmas, but the poor farmers didn't have the luxury of beef. But it was said that no family should be without beef on the festive occasions of Christmas, Easter and St. Patrick's Day. So a wealthier landlord or a tenant farmer would kill a bullock 
and they'd cure the beef in the corns of salt. That's where we get the word corned beef from. And that would be distributed to the poorest farmers on their festive occasions. And it became known as the festive dish of the Irish. And it's still a big dish in St. Patrick's Day, the corned beef, cabbage and potatoes, still a big dish. So that would have been the festive dish. But then later on, the goose came in and the goose was perfect here because it sort of could just go around to look after itself. Um, also, after the harvest, the goose would just go around and pick up any of the loose grains. So it would be well fattened up by midwinter and ready for the Christmas dinner. So the goose was the, the main meat for Christmas up until the 1950s and 60s. As Irish people became more wealthy, they probably wanted to copy the traditions of people in wealthier countries and the turkey became the main. After the turkey and ham, it's all about the Christmas pudding and cake. Some like to light the pudding with a blue brandy flame, a tradition that is said to represent the passion of Christ. But Irish households like to perfect their plum puddings, so much so that many will make theirs up to six weeks in advance. Celebrity chef Nigella Lawson inspires a lot of Christmas dishes. She says a cake is essential. I hold two contrary views about Christmas cake. One is I always think of something sort of slightly desiccated with dry little fruits in it and topped with an icing slightly dusty and so hard it's going to break your teeth. But the other thing I believe is you've got to have Christmas cake. A season of treats and indulgence. Desserts have modernised, but family recipes stay the same. We have our own Irish twist on Christmas cake and pudding, as Clodagh Doyle explains. One of my aunts would always make a cake and it would arrive in the post. But it all cost as much to send it as it was to probably make it. That sense of having some richness and the richness of Christmas cake, the puddings, you've got all the fruit after Halloween as well and you've got, you've got any fruit you have in, you've got all the spices as well. And we had well, the, the preservation through like alcohol of, of our cakes, they were like incredible. So I think that that's... That's a tradition, and those kind of Christmas spices are very much a tradition. Staying with treats, another must on the shopping list for many young families is the Advent calendar, which started out with simple pictures or candles from humble beginnings in 1908. By the time of World War II, the Nazis put a stop to their production and even pushed their own propaganda through the calendars. By the late 50s, they returned, but this time with chocolate, and today you can get any flavour you want. Introducing DJ Santa's Advent Calendar. Each day contains a milk chocolate or white miniature cup absolutely filled with peanut butter. Either before or after the dinner, there's often an activity planned, more so for the 26th. For some, it's card games, for others, a swim or a charity walk. But a form of entertainment that can be heard throughout the month of December is, of course, carol singing. On a festive-looking Grafton Street, I came across the 35th Dublin Scout Group, singing away to raise money for St Vincent de Paul. Volunteer Paddy Sullivan tells me some of the history to Christmas carols. Well, it goes back into history because you can get some carols from the 14th and 15th and 16th centuries. They go back that far. One of the very old ones is a thing called In the Bleak Mid in the Bleak Midwinter. That's one of the oldest carols of all, but it goes way back to the tea because um, as part of Christmas, and as you said, uh, it, it, it's all to do with, you get all the songs, like the Jingle Bell songs, which are the happy songs, but you also get the, uh, one of the most famous carols of all is Silent Night. Of course. And of course. that was the one that has been used, that's been sung all over the world. And did the Irish adopt it from other countries? Or? Oh yes, oh yeah, well now what happened was, uh, naturally it spread across Europe. I mean with the likes of Silent Night, it was originally written in German, but most 
Irish school kids now, they can see it in Irish because there's an Irish version, there's an English version and a German version and then pick any other language in the world, there's a version of Silent Night so in that language. So singing is purely global? It's totally global, it goes all over the world, but as I said, what we hope to do now is to raise a few bob for our local I, business hall here. Has it always been kind of linked to charitable causes as well? No, I think it was mostly, mostly it was in the churches. It was mostly it was sung in the churches and then it became um, part of fundraising then later on. Carols and hymns will fill the air of churches big and small, but not everywhere will be having Mass at the same time. The traditional midnight Mass, which generally started after 11, begins at the earlier time of 9 now in many parishes. Going along to your local church on Christmas Eve is still very much a lived-on tradition, with 60% of people planning on attending a religious ceremony, according to a News Talk survey. If you're out enjoying the carols, doing some Christmas shopping, ice skating or the 12 pubs, another common sight is, of course, the Christmas jumper. The more flamboyant, the better. Their origins can be tracked back to Scandinavia, where thick, woolly jumpers were used to bear off the cold. It wasn't until the 80s when they started to become a popular outfit choice for this time of year. Ladies and gentlemen, to whom it concerns, it's The Late Late Show. And here is your host, Gay Byrne. They grew in popularity after being worn by those on TV, but then disappeared again before making an emergence around the millennium. The jumpers are often seen at Christmas parties or on the recent annual routine of 12 pubs. It's also at these events where a couple might embrace the festive merriment under the mistletoe. As we've discovered, the tradition of holly comes from this part of the world. The same can be said for mistletoe, as the Celtic Druids viewed the plant as sacred and believed it had powers to restore fertility. It would be a few years before the Christmas tradition of kissing under the mistletoe caught on in the 18th century. So whether you're cooking a turkey, decorating a tree or wearing a cheesy jumper, now you'll have some chit-chat about some of our most popular Christmas traditions. But when it comes down to our festive customs, what is it that keeps us stuck in our ways? Look, we have our traditions of the holly that we can celebrate, uh, which goes back a long way. But a lot of the other traditions we associate with Christmas, like the Christmas tree and Christmas cards and all that sort of thing, was something we would have imported from other countries. We would have seen people doing that, and as people got more money, they could afford to do these things. So these would have been traditions that we would have imported in from other countries and made them part of our own celebration of the festival too. We got out the exact same decorations every single year. Do you know what I mean? And there is that sense that, that you do exactly what you did, you know, and it, you put them in exactly the same place. If it suits us, the tradition stays. If it doesn't suit us, it doesn't. And traditions always last in communities only for so long as they're respected, really. And, you know, as long as people like both benefit from it and they'll they'll kind of they'll move them and weave them and do whatever they want with them. Thanks very much for listening. Josh Crosby producing and presenting this week's edition of Let Me Explain, filling in for Sean Defoe with John Kyo as the series editor and Lachlan Hart on sound. Happy Christmas and chat to you again soon.